what's going on guys welcome back to a brand new episode of the bot talk in today's episode it is the season two finale with neil from cyber who is a creative director over at cyberzone a few things before today's episode starts i do want to talk about essentially what this season finale does mean this means I won't be uploading episodes on a weekly consistent basis. However, I will be creating episodes. It'll just be a lot more spaced out. If you guys want to know when the episodes do come out, the link to the bot talk to it will be down below. The next thing I do want to talk about is the support from the past two seasons. It's been actually amazing. It's blown my mind. Thank you so much for all the support. I'm going to make a Twitter post about it later on as well. So if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, go ahead and find out. The bot talk to it is also down below, like I said before. But the final thing I do want to talk about, and this may bring a bit of a negative vibe before the live stream. However, I just want to mention it and give my quick preface on this practically everyone here has been affected by it in some way whether that's the economy whether that's the way you're moving right now the lockdowns the quarantining obviously it's different in different parts of the world in the uk on wednesday at the time of making this video there's no lockdown protocols in action maybe by friday it would have been different i'll know more at the time however the quick thing i did want to talk to you guys about is during this time i'm going to be creating videos for you guys on my channel so if you guys want to consider subscribing and turning on personal notifications the only reason i'm plugging this right now is because i want to create content during this time to try to take your mind off things try to bring a positive vibe to your day and also i do like the discussion with you guys so if you guys want to see that content if you guys want to interact with me during this hard time obviously go ahead and check out the videos as they do come out. Without further ado, guys, let's jump into the season two finale of the Bot Talk. Jumping straight into today's episode, guys, we have Neil from Cyber. He is the creative director over at Cyber. So this is the finale of the Bot Talk. It's a huge episode. We have a tiny surprise for you guys at the end of the episode, and we are dropping a lot of exclusive information within this episode as well. Sit back, relax. Let's jump straight into today's episode. The first question we ask all our guests on the show, how did you discover reselling? Hey, so first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I think it was around freshman year of high school when I just started getting into reselling. Um, it was around the time of Beluga 2.0s. Um, and I remember my friends were going for it during lunch. And it was through the Adidas Confirmed app. And this is when, back when it was a countdown and you had to be the quickest to tap to be able to get the shoe. And so I was really curious as to like how this release system was working and also what, what shoes were getting released. So I started doing a little bit of research and going into it, I realized that these shoes are really, really beautiful and they're kind of unique. And so, and this was right around the time that I moved from America. So we weren't really doing so well financially. And so it wasn't feasible for me to try to go for these shoes. Um, but over time, I kind of thought about it. I'm like, you know, if I end up getting like two pairs of the same shoe and I flip one, I can probably keep the second one for, you know, essentially free and even have some money on top of it. Yeah, that is quite interesting. It's similar to what some of our guests do say on the show, obviously with that interest, and obviously how these shoes do look, they're quite nice. And referring to the silhouette you were talking about, the Beluga 2.0s, those are pretty unique at the time. That color, color combination with the silhouette style, it was very unique. It did pique a lot of interest for loads of loads of people. So it is understandable why you had an interest in that. And also the idea of getting two pairs and selling the second pair, preferably a better size to make up for your own personal pair, is an idea a lot of early people, myself included, adopted to go ahead and get these pairs that were quite expensive compared to other retail shoes. So a lot of people do adopt that mindset. Now that we've created a base around reselling, I want to navigate over to botting, which is obviously a huge, huge community that you're part of. And a lot of people within this community know that you're part of. How did you discover botting? I guess going into this whole reselling market and all these Yeezys, I kind of like 
stepped into the botting field, the botting community without even realizing. That's kind of like it was my first place that I picked between Instagram and Twitter. I, I just feel like Instagram is kind of weird and sketch when it comes to all these big brands and in the sneaker space. And so I decided to settle with Twitter and I started connecting with more brands. And my first bot was actually Dashi. And then I moved on to Cyber and I've been with Cyber ever since. I see. That is quite interesting. I feel like a lot of people that are repeatable within these bot companies do bounce around through a lot of bots. But like you just said, you went from Dashi straight to Cyber and you went and stayed with Cyber ever since. And that is one thing that we are going to touch upon later in the episode. However, I do want to talk about the transition period or so to say the bridge people do make between a manual user and a bot. How was that journey like? Yeah, it's definitely sort of a unique experience going into bots because it's these auto checkout softwares are something that are that have never been done before at this scale and so being introduced to something that just like checks out items for you and you can create multiple tasks it was definitely something that took a little bit of a learning curve but i would say that it didn't really take more than a month for me not even not even a month i would say like two weeks to just get used to you know setting up proxies servers and just running for releases yeah, I can definitely resonate with that because when you are being a manual user, literally the only preparation you need to be is like, tell your family members to leave you alone, let you sit in your room, have time.is open, sit on a site, refresh a couple of times and go for the item. However, when you're botting, like you said, there's a huge learning process. You have to incorporate proxies, servers, bots, read guides, talk to experienced users that have high success rates and overall try to go for these items that you're not even guaranteed to get. A same with manual user. However, creating that gap for yourself gives you a huge, huge advantage compared to manual users. So it's definitely a transition people like to make. Now navigating over to the present, you are the creative director at Cyber. What exactly does a creative director do? Yeah, I throw the biggest restock events in the game. <laughs> um, actually, I get that a lot. The responsibilities differ from role to role. You know, one creative director might have different responsibilities than a different creative director. But essentially, in a nutshell, a creative director controls the brand direction by working with both like the development team and the design team to make sure that they're on the same quote-unquote vision. Sounds kind of cheesy, but there's no better way to explain it. Parts of my role include, you know, branding, marketing, strategy, business development, a little bit of design, PR, social media. It's like, it's a combination of everything in one. Yeah, definitely. It does seem quite interesting. And personally, I made the mistake of thinking it was limited to designing. And I feel like a lot of the viewers have that idea. However, from your definition and from when I've talked to other people that have similar roles, it's much, much more bigger than that. And I feel like the smallest things you put into your role, like creating these videos to drop these restocks or specifically making one scene appear before another scene has huge, huge differences in engagement on social media platforms, which is practically your role. Creative director is a role that a lot of times gets forgotten because people just get to enjoy the product and they don't think of how the product was thought about to be delivered, you know, from branding to the marketing of it to even the development of it. And it's definitely a unique experience to work with both the developers and the designers at the same time. Now, picking apart your previous answer, you were talking about brand direction. How did you discover your passion for brand direction in general? I guess growing up with working parents, I was in a situation where I was constantly being handed down to my grandparents for them to take care of me. 
And so I would have long hours with nothing to do but to watch TV and to play around with the computer. And I guess by consuming so much content, I developed an understanding of design systems and my own standard as to how a brand should present itself to a certain target audience. And maybe that's why I've been so much into digital media. It's something that's rooted into my brain to the point where I critique brands, advertisements, commercials, all in my head and say, you know, this would have looked a lot better or felt a lot better if they did this or if they didn't do this. From your answers and your definition, you did talk about designing and that is a key element of part of this through PR marketing. I know personally from when I create these videos for the bot talk, I know strategically how to market it, what colors to use. It literally comes down to the simplest of things. One thing I did want to talk about, what were some of the first designs you ever created? Oh man, um, I used to make a lot of tech videos back in the day. And I guess you could say that before sneakers, I was a part of the tech community. And I've even worked with some of the big YouTubers in the tech space like TechSource. Now, I guess from the beginning when you do create this passion, it's one thing to have a passion, but then it's another thing to have skills and capabilities. How did you continue to enhance your skills and capabilities in relation to brand direction? I guess most of it started from YouTube. I always wanted to improve the quality of my YouTube videos from audio to video, you know, going from 1080p to 2K and then to 4K, from gear to post-production, all to deliver this unique experience to the viewer. You know, moving on to things such as using callouts, transitions, making thumbnails, optimizing tags, titles, all of that to maximize the viewership of a video. And doing all of that, I started using Photoshop, Premiere Pro and Final Cut Pro and probably other software that I don't remember right now. But I just kind of started using them to make videos and I kind of learned them. And that's kind of how I've been able to pick up the skills that I have. Yeah, I definitely can resonate with a lot of things you did say that I personally have been doing YouTube or been uploading videos to the platform since I was like the age of 10. And I know that throughout creating videos, going through streams, the range of skills that you do pick up do translate over to the work I do now, like similar to what you do with your position. But with the bot talk, all the videos, the audio, the marketing and purposely creating stuff in these videos to make the viewers engaged it all came down and spanned back to my childhood when i invested time into youtube and even though those videos were nowhere close to the amount of views these get and also the subject relatability like they were completely different they were gaming videos it still translates a lot of skills to my current work and i'm very very grateful for having that period of time in my life to go ahead and develop these skills and translate to my work at the moment however i do want to move over to a section of today's episode where we're going to talk about your current position and also advance on that so when you entered the botting community there was kind of two paths you could have gone down we talked about how you got into reselling and became a botter but we also talked about your passions and obviously you learning about creative directing when you entered the community did you want to be known as a botter or a creative director I guess it's a hybrid of both. Going into it initially, you know, getting into the resale market, I was more of a botter. That's all I did. But later on, when I started working with these companies, I wanted to advertise myself more of a creative director than an actual botter. Yeah, definitely. In my opinion, being a bot and being creative director is two completely different things. Being a creative director on paper just sounds way more better than saying you're just a bot. And that isn't putting any shade on any bots out there. However, the comparison is pretty big there. Creative director for a big company. And that is one thing I did want to pull apart. When you decided to be known as a creative director, what were some of the first things you did in the community to project yourself into the community to be known as a creative director? I guess getting into the whole reselling game, when I chose Twitter, I made this like second Twitter account 
and it wasn't even under my name or profile picture. And I was just following all these accounts to keep up with all the news and information. But then as time passed on, I started interacting with these companies and I started talking to them and engaging with them. And Yeezy Lab was actually one of the first, actually the first company that I became a part of. And through Yeezy Lab, we were just selling carts for Adidas and that, that was pretty much it. But that's what helped me get my role at Cyber and also meet so many talented people in the community. So if anyone in the audience has been employed by a botting company, they know that it does differ between working from an in real life company. You have with an in real life company, you have nine to five responsibilities. You don't think about your work outside of that. However, when you're employed by a company within the botting community, it does differ quite a bit. In your opinion, how does that differ? Like any remote job, it comes with its own ups and downs. What people usually see is the bright side of things, you know, being able to work from the comfort of your own home, but it definitely has its own caveats and it's not an easy lifestyle. It definitely requires a lot of discipline and time management, especially when you have a full-time university schedule. Everyone has certain expectations from you, whether it's work, academics, family, social circle, and sometimes you're not gonna be able to meet those expectations and that's okay. It definitely puts a toll on your mental health and having that kind of schedule kind of limits what you can do and makes you grounded. Yeah, I definitely do agree with you. Working online, working from the comfort of your home has its upsides and downsides. And it goes back to a phrase that I do like to say, which is the trade-off. Working online and making a decent amount more, or even huge amount more for some people than someone that will make a job has its upsides, but also has its downsides. There are a lot of things to sacrifice and that kind of all plays into the trade-off like I like to talk about. However, the final question for this section of today's episode, I did want to speak about what was the effect of you working with these big companies like follower boost, reputation developing within the community? I would say that the followers and the engagement is really nice, you know, knowing that people are supporting your work. But the one thing that I appreciate the most doing what I do is the feedback. It's definitely the scariest part of my job because as a creative, your work is a representation of you. And when you work for the biggest company of its kind and you're in many ways leading the competition and everyone expects you to set the example which can get stressful at times when I don't feel creative. But I will say that through this feedback, I've been able to talk to so many people from this community and get to know them and connect with people all around the world. So moving on to the final section of today's episode, we're going to dissect your time at Cyber. Go ahead and tell everyone all about it. So the first question of this section, how were you contacted to work for Cyber? It was actually me who reached out to Lucas. I noticed early on that they were lacking heavily in terms of customer service. And I really wanted to get a copy myself. So I DM'd them offering to do customer service in exchange for a key. Yeah, I've definitely used that trick a few times with previous companies. I feel like it's a very good way. And especially when you see a company lacking of something, if you can go ahead and fill that void, then it really works well for the company. I've done that with previous employments. Even in real life as well, I've done that for incentives and it works really, really well. However, one thing I do want to segue into when you got recruited by Lucas, what were the early days like when you were first recruited? I remember joining Cyber back when Cyber had about 10,000 followers and we didn't have a lot of resources back then. Even our customer service was done through Discord, which we've moved to Zendesk since. 
but I remember we had about 10,000 followers on Twitter and we didn't even have an Instagram at the time. But my favorite part about those times would have to be the staff chat. Even to this day, we're pretty much active there all the time. And it's just turned into like a family chat. We talk about everything, you know, when it comes to personal life, cyber, everything that you can think of. I mean, I don't remember anything else as far as cyber because we were really, really bare bone at the time. But um goes to show how far we've come. Yeah, I definitely do agree with you. When I've worked in teams with bots or even in real life, I feel like it's very, very helpful and easier to have a personal connection with everyone. Staff chat is a very good way to do that. If you know everyone on a personal level and you all get along, overall, the output you're putting to the public and your customers is just exponentially better than if you were separated and you didn't really talk to each other. So when you were first recruited, what were some of your first employment responsibilities? So I struck a deal with Lucas and I'm like, let me work for customer service in exchange for a copy. And he agreed to that, which was very surprising to me. But shortly after that, I want to say like in a month, I was put onto payroll. And at the time, my role was just to be customer service and be involved with the development of cyber. Yeah, your responsibilities definitely have developed even based on your first answer we talked about at the beginning of the episode. However, one part we did touch upon is the designing side. I want to dive into that a little bit more. And the question I have for you is, what was your vision for cyber in terms of designing when you first joined? Going into it, I had a few ideas that could help with the user experience. But overall, I just had this vision of how I wanted to see cyber and how I wanted the user experience to be like. But I didn't have creative control until I want to say eight, nine months into my employment. That works really nicely. And another thing I do want to talk about, how did your role develop throughout your time at cyber? So initially I started as customer support that was going on for about, I guess, seven to eight months. And at some point I started discussing some of these ideas that I had with Lucas and he was open to them, whether it was related to branding, marketing, development, or anything really. One of the hardest things as a company is connecting the creative and the design team with the development team. And that's where I think we have an edge compared to all the other competitors. Lucas and I have this incredible level of understanding of each other's ideas uh, that I've yet to experience with any other developer. We constantly build on each other's ideas and it's been a wonderful experience to have the same vision and goal in mind. So we've gone ahead and talked about your past outside of the early days, how you got to the point you are now. However, one thing I did want to dissect how did the conversation spark to create videos that celebrates milestones like hitting 100k, 150k? However, within those videos, it includes a restock. How did that idea come about? How did you push it to Lucas? How was that process like? I guess with the scale of cyber, I was looking for ways to maximize equal opportunity while targeting both of our Twitter and Instagram followers at one. And I thought about pre-announced live streams and how that wouldn't be a bad idea to inform even the person that followed us yesterday or last week. Um, as far as how the procedure is going to take place and how they can participate. Yeah, I definitely do agree. Those ideas are very, very nice. It's very unique. And not to compare myself to you guys. However, I feel like of everyone in the community, I do have a good idea of how these work. Obviously, I do loads of drops within these episodes. They're video formatted. They're nowhere near compared to Cyber. However, I do understand some of the challenges that do come with that. And that was one of the things I did want to dissect into. What was the process like to perfect these videos on the design side, as well as working with the team to make sure the restock goes smoother? I mean, the process is kind of all over the place. I don't just sit down and come up with them on the spot. 
it just kind of comes to me over time. And sometimes I take about three to four weeks to, you know, perfect the idea of a restock. I usually start with a stock image and I turn the image into a video and I use music to just make it like an immersive experience for the viewer. And what a lot of people don't know is the attention to detail that goes into these restock videos because something so little as the music for me takes about, you know, seven to eight hours to come up with the right music because you can just go with any music, but I want to go for the best user experience, the best feel. And so it takes a lot of time to find the right track, the right image and, you know, combining it all together is it, it's just it's tricky to perfect the experience that I want to deliver. And that's why I don't do it more regularly because it usually takes a lot more planning and a lot more time. And being a full-time student, I don't have the time to make more of these right now. So if I have the image and I do find the music that I want to use, I start listening to the music um, throughout the week. You know, sometimes I just have it on repeat endless times over and over and over. I just keep listening to the music until I have a vision of what I want to see exactly in the restock video. And then I spend the last day usually editing the video, putting it together. And the day of, we just live stream it. And I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. Now it's lovely to create a video to encourage engagement and get people around the brand to celebrate a milestone. However, one of the most notorious things on cyber is restocks. Everyone tries to go for these copies. These copies fly and justifiably because the bot is very, very good. That's why its resale value is huge on the aftermarket and these restocks fly. And obviously integrating these unique methods is definitely a very, very good way. However, was there any added pressure of including a restock within these videos? If anything, I like these restock events better just because of the nostalgia and the fact that I can look back at this years from now and be like, you know, this whole community came together for like this one event or the few events that we had. And I really enjoy the experience that users have been getting out of this. Ah, uh, see, that is a very nice thing to hear. Obviously, added pressure during production of a video isn't a nice thing. But if that's a motivating factor, then I am very, very glad and happy for that. However, the next thing I did want to ask, since the first video you did career, is there any lessons or things you've picked up that you've translated to future videos of these restock videos? Yeah, definitely. I feel like every restock event for us has been a lesson. Um, the first one, we honestly did not expect so many people to be on the stream and on the website. And so our traffic was way too much, our servers weren't scaled, and the site crashed. Second time around, we were able to scale the servers properly, and we didn't experience any website crashes, which we were really, really happy about. But I feel like with the second restock, the video wasn't on par with the first one. And so the first one has to be my favorite. Yeah, personally, I do agree with your points that the first one was definitely more appealing visually. However, that doesn't take anything away from the second one. The second one, the servers were there on the website side. And it kind of links back to the fact that we were talking about earlier in the episode where you talk with the development team and the design team to make everything fit together really nicely. Personally, I went for both restocks. I have a video that I bought on my Twitter and uh, it's very fun. That's why I created a video. The system was very smooth. Obviously, the demand, there was like thousands of thousands of views. I remember with the first live stream, you were trending on the Twitch page, which was insane as well. So obviously, the demand does outweigh the stock there. That's why there was a lot of people that said, oh, I went too quick. However, these are some things that users do need to keep in mind when going for these restocks. However, moving on to some of the final questions. 
What can we expect from Cyber in terms of any videos going forward or anything in general? I'm constantly working on ways to improve the restock events and make it more enjoyable of an experience for everybody, not just for the people that can cop copies, but for every participant. And lately I've been working on the audio side of things with the goal of being able to have custom audio tracks for the restock events. Yeah, personally, I'm very, very excited to see what the cyber team do come out with with these future videos. The entire community, everyone that's watching this is very excited. I feel like you guys do take over the timeline when you do announce these things. And I feel like in the near future, these videos can only elevate from the point they are right now. However, the final question of today's episode, what are your personal future plans and also any future plans related to cyber? Yeah, I currently go to UC Berkeley full time time and I also have cyber and peachy going on but I think after Berkeley I'm going to put together my own media company just because I have a passion for photo video media just digital media in general and I just want to continue and follow my passion and do what I love but meanwhile we're working on the next version of cyber 5.0 and I cannot wait to show you what we have in store so guys, that was a bombshell of information. Personally, I didn't even know if Hypernet was being worked on. I don't think any of the viewers even knew that. Let me know how you're feeling in the chat right now. If you guys are watching this other video afterwards, let me know down below in the comments. However, Neil has one final thing to end off today's episode with. Well, I do want to say two things. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. And for those of you who are here for a happy ending, make sure you head to the link shown on screen now. The password is washyourhands20. And yeah, good luck.